When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to continue our expectations series. I promise you we're nearing the end of this, but this has been a lot of fun talking about two players, one from the offense, one from the defense each episode. Here to join me to talk about two important players for the 2023 Ravens is Jordan Coe. Jordan, how are you doing? Good, Ken. Thanks for having me on again. Always a pleasure, my friend. So we're going to talk today about Patrick McCary and Tyus Bowser. Uh, well, uh, who do you want to start with McCary or Bowser? Let's start with Tyus Bowser. I think, you know, he's, he's a really interesting guy from, from my perspective for this upcoming year, the, the Ravens are, it seems like going to be leaning on him pretty hard at that outside line backer position, um, on one side of the field, they've got an interesting combination in OA, um, and a Jabo, but it seems as though at least the way they're signaling it with what they're doing at the outside linebacker position in terms of veterans that they've added, they, they're going to be looking pretty heavily from a contribution from Bowser. Well, let's hope that works out. Of course, uh, Bowser, uh, the NFI designation just tagged with him. As far as I know, that hasn't been lifted yet. There's been a fair amount of these one-day designations that have been going around the league lately, including Bateman um, um, from yeah. a did-not-report into a PUP. But uh, but Dowser got the Bowser guy has an NFI designation for something that happened to his knee apparently. So away from the facility, um, I, I guess they just don't have an explanation for exactly what is what is wrong at this point. And we're hoping, obviously, it turns out to be not a particularly serious injury. He is one of the most important Ravens in terms of his role, being that Sam linebacker. Um, one of the interesting things is the fact that the Ravens brought in Kyle Van Noy for a visit on Friday that seemed to mesh honestly pretty closely with the news on Bowser. So uh, that has me a little bit concerned about, about, you know, how serious is the, is the uh, uh, term associated with Bowser's injury. And last year, of course, Bowser missed the first eight weeks. It really hurt the Ravens in a number of ways. We'll get into a little bit of that. Um, And he returned right at the same time as Roquan Smith did for that week nine game in New Orleans. And all of a sudden the Ravens defense was an entirely different animal. Yeah, it it really was. And, you know, if you look at what the Ravens did, you know, and Melvin Gordon is, I I think much to do about nothing in the bigger picture. But I think that when you think about Van Noy coming in, even with the designation with Bowser, the lack of signing of Van Noy 
hopefully if we're trying to read tea leaves here and i i know nothing about the status of bowser's actual health uh i think that if, if it was something more serious i think he would have already been on board or somebody or a justin houston or somebody else that is a veteran that's out there and there are a number of them um that are a veteran outside linebackers are out there that would kind of either been in for a visit or likely already been on the books Let's let's come back to that because the Sam linebacker very tricky to actually find one. Most of the guys out there, particularly the older guys, tend to be rush linebackers. Um, but let's talk a little bit about Bowser in, in terms of, of of who he is at this point in his career. He's a six year player. Um, this will be I think this will be his seventh season, right? Uh, Two thousand eighteen. Well, I, I have to look at it. It's just one of those things. Yes, he played six years already. This is his seventh season. Um, he turned twenty eight in May. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about, about last year and what happened. Obviously, uh, the whole story is not Bowser himself. The, the primary part of the story is what happened to Adafi Owe and how short on total outside linebackers the Ravens were. And Adafi Owe last year when Bowser was out had to move over and play a fair amount of Sam linebacker. They used Malik Harrison there on some early down snaps. They had Justin Houston. They brought in JPP later in the season to, to kind of split some time with Bowser as well on that uh, on the Sam on the strong side. Uh, but Owe was really the most affected player by the absence of Bowser because while he has the athletic traits to play that position, he was one playing out of position, so not really working on his pass rush as much as he should, and two um, he was uh, uh, playing way too many snaps. Uh, because of the absence of total outside linebackers. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, you know, even with a healthy Bowser, you know, there's got to be another guy, in the, and this is why a guy like Van Noy is probably getting a look. There's got to be somebody else that's going to be getting some kind of action in some form or another uh, from this Ravens team out of that spot. Bowser, obviously a huge alleviation of what that looks like for this team, his versatility, his ability to do everything on the field mm -hmm. when they kind of needed him to. Um, when you look at his 21 season with the seven sacks, his ability to kind of bring that to the table just makes it a little bit easier on everybody. But, you know, there's got to be some assumption that, you know, Bowser is still a very good third down outside linebacker. So even though he gives you that Sam versatility, you know, in first and second and more, more diverse set of downs. He's still a good pass rusher. And so it is not, I don't think we're looking at a situation where he's coming off the field for an Ajabo or um, an OA in pass rushing situations alone either, which means that we're going to continue to see OA, I think probably pick up at least some of those snaps. I, I mean, I would agree for, for starters. I think, I think Bowser stays on the field on third down, but you know, I've made the point that the thing he brings the Ravens pass rush is a lot of flexibility on who they bring. So if Bowser can drop the cover and take the responsibility of the slot corner in terms of a, of a shallow zone or do any number of other things to hit a guy off the line of scrimmage, disrupt a route, whatever it might be, you just read the quarterback better than any outside linebacker in the game. It allows McDonald tremendous flexibility in planning that pass rush for other players that the quarterback or the offensive line may not see coming that will cause additional confusion. The way the Ravens like to blitz, and particularly from inside linebacker and off the slot, um, safety as well, all of those are possibilities in terms of, of how Tyus Bowser can help the flexibility of your, of your uh, coverage team to, to generate more pass rush. And I, I just I don't think the Ravens are getting that when they had Oway on that side. In fact, Oway didn't drop that much. 
But if you look at Tyus Bowser, last year in half a season, he dropped 61 times. In 2021, Tyus Bowser dropped 218 times into coverage on the season. He only rushed the passer 338 yeah. times, by the way. So, you know, 40% of the time he's he's rushing, he's uh, dropping a cover. Yeah, those are, I, I mean, even just thinking about that from his sack numbers for the, the amount of times he rushed, A, that's impressive. I think the flip side of that is also impressive. And he's always, I, I thought after after year two, he really evolved. And in year three and mm-hmm. four, we really started, started to see a much better cover linebacker not a guy that was kind of playing his own, but more playing in the defense and, and real improvement. I also think, you know, I did the inside linebacker show. We, we did the inside linebacker preview show uh, for the draft. And I think we kind of, it was, it, it felt like it might've been a little quicker because we didn't think the Ravens were going to make serious consideration at inside linebacker. And then in the third round, when Trenton Simpson was still there, a guy that we both liked, I think we both had him in our kind of top two or top three of guys mm-hmm. that we would have been interested in the Ravens taking. He's a guy that also in some of the in the Sam capacity or kind of versatility could definitely have a role. I mean, he obviously was a good pass rusher at Clemson as well, um, but his ability to kind of be able to do more than one thing does does make it interesting. Also, the ability to let, you know, Patrick Queen as a guy that is uh, kind of roaming along the line of scrimmage um, and is effective as a blitzer when teams don't really know where he's coming from. And and those three guys in combination, potentially, I mean, it's not a, it's not an open and shut case that there's nobody else that can play Sam. Um, But it will be very interesting to see what direction the Ravens take there on defense. And I think they're, I think they won't, we won't, that won't be revealed to us until week one. I don't think there's, there's very little that we will see in practice or preseason. That's going to be truly indicative of anything honest. Right, I agree with that. I agree. We will definitely not see it in the preseason games, and and uh, yeah, I, I would I, I would agree. We'll have to wait for week one to see exactly what what McDonald pulls out of the hat. But uh, you know, Simpson is an interesting interesting choice as either a backup or an early season replacement for Bowser, depending on the significance of this injury here. Um, if if he were to, um, he, he's an ex okay, he's an ex safety definitely brings with him some, although in my opinion, not quite as much as you would like of understanding of what's happening behind him that he brings up from, from playing safety previously. And he's done some other things. He's tried to cover the slot, usually probably a tight end or a bigger guy certainly can cover a running back on a wheel route. That that's, that's a, a well within his range of capabilities, but he's more of a pass rusher in the mold of Patrick queen that I think he gives you a guy who can rush from off the line of scrimmage in a pick your gap or find your spot basis where he might come free because there's confusion because of the a delay that he can set up and, and, and use good timing, or he might be able to cross splits with somebody else, or he might be able to take advantage of a double team or across the face of the, of the, uh, uh, the guard that's been done by an under uh, player. I, I'm not saying he, he can't directly rush straight up against a tackle. I just think he's pretty darn undersized to do that on anything but an occasional basis. Yeah. Well, and, and looking at him more in, in snaps where he might need to drop, you know, they good numbers from him at Clemson in 22 there. I think there were, I, I saw this recently, like, like maybe 14 or 15 attempts against him. Um, and I think only two or three completions. Um, so when he was dropping and then huge versatility from what he was doing at Clemson, I think it was 
over 200 snaps at inside linebacker and over 200 snaps at outside linebacker. So a lot of diversity from him um, in terms of what he was bringing to the team when he was there. Yeah, he he was good. I, I seem to remember his his. It's maybe a career number or a um, last year number, but he was at something like five point four yards per carry, which is good. Five point four yards per target, I should say. But it wasn't quite quite as good as I thought it would be. So I got to see if the, on it for just a second here. So last year he gave up. He had thirty six targets for one hundred and ninety six yards against him, which isn't bad. That's under that's under six yards a target. Uh, 5.4. Yeah, that's what that's what I thought I remembered. And then for his career, um, looks like, <laughs> yeah, really good. 406 yards on 73 targets. So that's good as well. Uh, 5.6 yards per target. So definitely, it's it's good for a linebacker, no doubt about it. They tend to be a, the the guys who who make the NFL, the guys who are drafted, tend to be a little bit better. Um, perhaps because they make a lot of downhill plays, a lot of plays in the backfield, but that's still quite good. And, uh, and if he could, if he could retain that sort of effectiveness, that would be terrific at the NFL level. And if he could replace what Bowser does, I just don't know exactly how he does that from the line of scrimmage, then, then that'd be terrific. But right now we're talking about this and, and you know, all hands are on deck. Tyus Bowser, if he misses part of the season, that's an enormous piece missing for the Ravens. And they really need to figure out how to how to do it. And there may not be any one answer. There wasn't last year. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. I think the bottom line here, and you know, we we spend more time there talking about Simpson and Bowser. The bottom line mm-hmm. is that Bowser's a, a really critical component to what the Ravens are looking for. I think he's you know, the Ravens have a, a handful of guys that are intriguingly, I think, a bit underrated from kind of the broader league perspective of what they bring to their position. So, um, you know, Marlon Humphrey probably is the most, given the most accolades. And then you still see him, you know, what he was in like the top, like 85 or 90 of a recent top 100 list, which is ridiculous. Um, you know, but, but I think you see certain guys on the Ravens that do a lot of things for the way this defense is built. They're not mm-hmm. going to be, you know, they're not going to be a premier top shelf, you know, Aaron Donald type name. Um, but the contributions that a guy like Tyus, Tyus Bowser is going to bring to this defense is, is going to make a significant impact by the end of the season. Yeah. Whether, whether it is from not playing at all or playing. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, he's an impact player and uh, you right. know, it, it, Tyus Bowser contract is a, is a hell of a good one. I, I think he's got two years still under contract and uh, the, the, the AAV on that contract is going to end up being a tremendous bargain for the Ravens. If he can get his playing time in these next couple of years, I did want to remind people there were 10 guys who played outside linebacker for the Ravens last year. How many can you name? And I'm not trying to embarrass you because there's some really odd oddball names on this list. You're, you're probably not going to get. But of the 10 guys, how many can you actually name? Oh, let's see. Well, so you've got Bowser, <laughs> JPP that we've named, yep. OA, Ajabo took snaps, Malik Harrison, which was yep. ugly. Um, oh, you definitely you definitely put me on the spot here. Um I mean, I guess Phil. Did they have Phillips play any of the, those outside linebackers? You know, did he end up sliding I, out at all? He had he had one snap defensively where he fell on the quarterback, so he's rushing the quarterback. I, I left him at inside linebacker. He's not one of my ten, but he probably okay. would be the eleventh if you wanted to wanted to call that. But I haven't listed at inside linebacker. Um, I, I mean, are we talking about you know Patrick Queen sliding over? Nope. As no, nope. these are other guys, no doubt about it. Outside, outside linebackers. Outside. <laughs> 
They just none of them were Steve, here for Steve very Means. long. Say again. Steve Means was there for what a game, Steve right? Means, Steve Means one game plus one snap. <laughs> and then uh, okay, so I've got six. There's one big one you haven't uh, named that played a lot of snaps. A big one that I uh, I forget who I name now. <laughs> okay, go so ahead and so tell far, me the other the other four. Named, okay, sure. Okay, well, Houston was the big one. I'm sure you would have gotten him if you'd been thinking about it. But, but then, oh, they, I then thought I said three. Houston. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, no problem. No problem. So anyway, the the, the other three are uh, Ada Ochu, who I've even forgotten what his first name was, <laughs> but uh, Copeland, the Gilman guy who was back here briefly, obviously last year, and Kennard. And you actually got Stephen Means, which was one of the really oh. hard ones. So. <laughs> And and Phillips, I got to give you credit yeah. probably for that too, for extra credit for that. So you know, there there was just a lot of guys floating through there, and it was a lack of people who could stay on the field at all those first two weeks. And what it meant was tremendous overuse of the couple of guys who were there. Remember, Jabba wasn't there early in the year, and Bowser wasn't either. So Owe was playing a ton of snaps. Houston was completely overworked, um, and Jason Pierre-Paul was not there yet. And so I think yeah, early you know, one in the season it was it was rough early. Yeah, you know, it it was utterly miserable, and it's it's it, the it's not like the the arrival of Roquan wasn't like a seminal moment, but it was made extra seminal by the fact that Bowser returned at that exact same time, and that that really changes the the flexibility of the defense and the flexibility to rush the passer. So, and Owe, of course, moved back over to the to that uh, his natural side of the field. So we've been hearing a lot about this. Well, and, and you're, you know, you, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say Means had that one big preseason game, if I recall, and looked mm-hmm. solid in the, the one game. That's why I, you know, was able to recall him. It felt like the Ravens, you know, weren't relying on him, but it, he did seem to be right there at that their kind of top of the list pre-injury of of what they were hoping with, they were gonna get a fill in for. Yeah, and honestly, from the from the first game against the Jets, he played he played quite well, I thought. And I thought he'd be he would be fine to to be one of the outside linebackers for a while, but they would they would get through with him, and he might even have stayed on the team. You know, if if they'd have, uh, you know, maybe they don't pick up JPP if Stephen Means stays healthy and uh, is still around. But JPP ended up being a really good find, and he he took a lot of early down Sam snaps, so uh, some from Harrison. He took some rush snaps. He kicked inside. He ended up being very flexible for the Ravens in terms of what he provided them. And let's see, he had. The second most snaps of all the outside linebackers last year. So the order, this would be another tough question, but Bowser had 657, Pierre Paul 553, <laughs> Houston 418, Bowser 387. And then after that, everybody else has got less than 100 snaps. Although Harrison might have had over 100 outside linebacker too. Uh, so anyway, it's... Uh, yeah, just uh, an, yeah, an interesting mix. JPP was definitely not a guy that... I, I don't think we got a great performance from him, but... Like you said, they just, they needed him, you know, mm-hmm. and he was, and he'd set the edge more effectively than I thought he was going to when, when the Ravens brought him in. Yeah. I, I, I thought he did some nice things, batted a couple passes and, you know, he, he did some, he definitely did some positive things. He wasn't the pass rusher he used to be, but you know, we know, we, we kind of knew that was probably a, a, a limited opportunity there. One thing you do hear people talking about consistently on Twitter is people saying, why don't, why don't we sign Justin Houston? Cause we don't have enough outside linebackers. 
And I think the issue right now for the Ravens is probably one of fit is that they've got the rush linebackers they need. In fact, because they didn't have a Jabo at the end of the year, at the beginning of the year, you know, they only had Oway. Maybe they needed a rush linebacker then, but now they've got Oway, Ajabo, and the newly drafted Tavius Robinson for the rush side. And they have Bowser only on with an NFI designation on the Sam side. And that's a you know, the next guy they sign yeah. better be a Sam, is all I can say. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, I don't expect to see, you know, any, any, I wouldn't expect to see a lot of Tavius Robinson. I'd be surprised in a positive way. That'd be, I mean, I think that would be, if that ends up being something that we see that either, either means if OA needs to be playing more Sam, um, he's doing it effectively and, and the Tavius Robinson has been playing effectively or, or developed effectively as well. So, I, I don't I don't disagree with that statement in general. I think that you know we're going to see some deactivations from Tavius Robinson, but I thought we we you know chew on this a little bit because Tyus Bowser's in in absence really affects the Ravens, ripples through a lot of the defense. Yeah. So Calais Campbell is gone, so the defensive line obviously is going to get taxed with having to deal with all the additional Calais Campbell snaps to, to be distributed amongst the rest of them including another player who is joining the team in all likelihood. Okay. But we'll, you know, obviously it means a higher uh, snap percentage load for everyone. Then I'm going to compound that factor because the Monken offense is probably going to be faster paced and they're going to be totally more offensive snaps and more defensive snaps because of that more possession exchanges in total. And we, you can count on playing more defensive snaps if you're going to do that. In fact, that's one of the real risks of the Monk and offense is that it might be too fast-paced for a defense that's very thin at several positions, specifically cornerback, and I would say defensive line and outside linebacker I'm looking at now. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I was thinking about that the other day and wondering whether or not there's a – whether Munkin's offense is simultaneously going to lead to Ricard playing less at fullback and whether or not we see him playing any on the defensive line, if the Ravens don't make an addition on the interior of the defensive line at all. Mm. Um, and whether or not that's something they consider, especially if it's a significant decrease in stats for him. Yeah, that's, you know, that is a possibility. Uh, that's a possibility on an emergency basis at the very least, at the very least. So if they have right. someone go down in a at game, the at the minimum, because he's going to be active. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's a great point. So that that may actually really help the Ravens if they if they need somebody to take twenty percent of the snaps in a couple games. Uh, you know, Ricard could be that guy. Uh, I don't think he's ever going to be a really heavy workload guy again. But you know, emergencies are emergencies, and you can you can make somebody take a lot of snaps in one game uh, if uh, if you absolutely well, six to eight need snaps. It. Yeah, six. Right. Six to eight could go a long way in kind of alleviation and on the spot duties. And, you know, it's not it's not something I think that the Ravens will be actively game planning how to get Pat Ricard onto the field as a defensive lineman. Um, mm-hmm. But his ability to be able to fill in there does does seem like it matters a little bit. OK, so now I, I started this comment by saying that Tyus Bowser's problem was going to ripple into the defensive line. And here's how they have all those additional snaps they need to fill. Well, one way to fill defensive line snaps is to kick in pass rushers on third down. So you get Tavius Robinson on the field. You get a Jabo on the field as an interior rusher instead of rushing from the edge. So you, you know, the, the old race car package, you've got four outside linebackers on the field on a, on a, on an obvious passing down. And that alleviates a lot of your need for 
rotational defensive line depth. So if you're if you can do that, if you have the players to do it, and it, so one way, if you're going to activate five defensive linemen or even four in some games, and you're a little concerned about, it, even though you're going to face mostly eleven personnel, which would only have you have two on the field at a time. If you're a little bit concerned about it, one of the things you can go back to is to say, well, most of these passing downs, we're only going to be we're going to be playing three defensive linemen and only and only sorry, we'll be playing three outside linebackers and only one defensive lineman. And so sometimes, and this was true in 2019, they got their defensive, sorry, yeah, defensive lineman per snap down under 1.8. So that's very low. And if you think about that, that means all of the percentages of snaps played by your defensive line need to sum to 1.8 or less. That's much more manageable than 2.2. It makes it actually makes an enormous difference, even though maybe it doesn't seem like that big a difference, you know, just listening here. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and we saw big strides from I from Broderick Washington in particular on the defensive mm-hmm. line. So there, you know, I think that there are some opportunities. Travis Jones also Should on tape more. had some fantastic snaps. Yeah. Um, so those two guys, their ability to fill in some of that, but yeah, I think we're going to have to see, we're going to see some extra rotations, et cetera. So there, there's going to be an addition, uh, you know, and, and I was kind of vaguely making this point as it related to Van Noy. I think the Ravens are, we'll know a lot more in a couple, let's say 10 days, even probably surrounding what Bowser's long-term injury perspective looks like. If they bring in a Sam guy within that period of time, I think our hackles should be uh, much, much, uh, much more alert for Bowser being yes. in a more significant situation. Yeah, hair on the back of our neck will definitely be raised if that's if, if that's the case. I agree. I, I I did want to mention one other thing before we move on. This the defensive line situation already. Matabike is a guy I think who has to play less snaps. He played fifty nine percent last year. Um, he wasn't really effective in games where he had a lot of snaps, and he also wore down in the second half some, and. Sure. I mean, there's probably conditioning things that could improve that. And he, he's just kind of building up kind of like an innings limit with pitchers. You're building up to, to a ultimate snap count. But I think he'd be much more effective in the high 40s than in the high 50s. And so, mm. you know, that's a percentage of snaps and, and a, you know, not insignificant total of snaps. You've got to find somebody else to play. So I, I hope that they'll do that and make him much more of a pure pass rusher. Some of that may mean Travis Jones is a three tech on the early downs playing next to Pierce instead of in place of Pierce at nose tackle. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, we get Michael Pierce back. So that's, oh, sorry. Yeah. Just the last addition there is that Michael Pierce is back. So hopefully, and hopefully healthy, you know, obviously being key, but, but, you know, improvements from Jones and Washington plus Michael Pierce, hopefully that can weather any storm. If there's, there's mm-hmm. additional, there's additional wear and tear or needs on that defensive line. Yeah. I, well, it's Michael Pierce is a huge piece and he hasn't been able to stay on the field. So let's hope. Uh, I, I, I yeah. we had, there's the Ravens have so many players that are in that they can't get injured camp. Um, it's, it's not a, it's not a very <laughs> safe spot, but Bowser is one of them and, and, and Pierce is another and Stanley and Humphrey and Lamar. Uh, you know, if it, all five <laughs> of those players, I almost feel like it would be easier to lose, say, Mark Andrews than any of those five players. And that's sacrilege. But, you know, that's that's pretty much where I am right now in terms of, you know, if you're going to you don't want to lose Andrews for a whole season, obviously. But if you lost him for five games, um, you know, maybe you could maybe you could make do with that. Whereas 
you know, just it's not clear to me how the Ravens are gonna are gonna work around not having Tyus Bowser at at present. Yeah, I agree. All right. Um, a couple things about Bowser last year. Uh, didn't really set the edge, I didn't think, as well as he had in previous years. Now, it, it, I, I, I blame it probably on returning from the injury more than anything because something else showed up is that he dropped to cover less frequently as a percentage of pass snaps last year, 25.7%, as opposed to 39.2% in 2021. So he's only rushing the passer a little bit less than two-thirds, sorry, dropping to cover a little bit less than two-thirds as often. Some of that might have been the change in coordinator doing more straight pass rushes of Bowser, but I think some of it is also the injury and that he probably wasn't as effective um, as he was in 21 when he had the three picks. Yeah, hopefully, you know, some of that is just injury related. And I think that it, especially coming back from an injury where part of your anchor and your feet and your legs are affected by that, that's definitely going to be going to play a bigger part in your ability to set the edge. It's, it was something that Bowser was so effective at before that, that I, I don't, you know, I'm not surprised to hear that it, he struggled a bit more or it would have appeared to last year, but I also, I'm not particularly concerned that I, I would be, that that's a carryover issue. Obviously it's something to keep an eye on, but that it's a carryover issue as we headed to this year. Right. Uh, so we talked about the need to find another Sam and, and just up front in the show, but one of the possibilities is one of the problems with, is that it's very high, hard to identify those guys. If they're not already playing it in a Sam heavy system that really relies on the Sam to drop you, you, you know, if, if you're stealing it from new England, well, that's fine. And that's kind of what Kyle Van Noy is. You know, he, he, he played a couple of years in new England. I don't know how many, uh, in addition to his years with the chargers. So he's, he's a guy who, uh, uh, you know, is, is, well-versed in the system uh, where, where he would drop to cover a lot. And in, uh, uh, if, you're, if you're looking at the college ranks and trying to pick an R or one guy who was a, um, a Sam linebacker in college, good luck, because all those guys pretty much were pass rushers in college. They don't, they don't drop to cover very often. Um, the complexity of that is, is something that I think most college defensive coordinators, if they had their pro prospect, they want to use him as a pass rusher, not to drop the coverage. So it, it just is something it's very hard to identify unless you're just doing straight trait-based scouting. And then you're still taking a risk because somebody's got to actually learn those techniques at the NFL level. Yeah. And and it doesn't look like, you know, looking at the Ravens, who the Ravens brought in, you know, they weren't targeting to try and do that. And like you said, and once you get to the undrafted level or whoever's left over, it's just mm-hmm. – super unlikely that you're going to you're going to strike gold there. So it it will be really interesting to see if that leads to kind of a shift in what the Ravens try and do in their approach on um, what we get from McDonald's defense, but you know, also with hopefully knock on wood, right, a healthier secondary in the at the safety position for the balance of the season also, you know, potentially can let you do more behind it so maybe it lets it lets McDonald change some things in the front seven if that's what he feels like he needs to do. Yeah, I mean that would be that would certainly be nice, you know. Having uh, they've got three safeties now, they don't have four with with Clark and who is their fourth safety even right now on the team? Oh, it's Brandon Williams, Brandon Stevens rather. Yeah. Um. So, so they Stevens do with Geno Stone. Yeah. So so Stone ha- has been good at the position. In fact, been good as a free safety replacement for for Marcus. 
but um, Brandon Stevens is still moving around and they're, they're intent on ruining him by not getting him a single position is what I always say. It's not even funny. It really isn't because of all the players that's happened to with the Ravens, but, uh, but Brandon Stevens, who they could really use an outside corner um, uh, or, or even slot corner, um, you know, is, is, uh, is a guy who they're moving back to safety and, you know, maybe this maybe this means they they're trying to draw on Hamilton again to come up to the slot corner. I actually don't think that's gonna the way it's gonna end up this year. But you know, if it wouldn't surprise me if push comes to shove, and it always does with injuries, that Hamilton is forced up into that slot corner role again, even though that's not where the yeah. Ravens want to put him. Yeah. Well, I think both Hamilton and Marlon Humphrey draw the curse of having to <laughs> having to cover. Yeah in the slot position when the Ravens need them to, uh, but both of them have been effective at it. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that I think the players get ruined by their inability to stay in one place. I think that if they were better in one place, then, you know, we're, we're, we're still talking about cusp, you know, guys mm -hmm. in terms of what we saw from them. And if they were good enough to stay in one or the other spots, they, they were given Stevens has had enough time, both at safety and at corner to show that he is, good enough to be an NFL level, either one of those. And so um, I think he's definitely the last safety and and maybe lo low on the corner list, but apparently by the Ravens evaluations if needed. Um, but I, I don't know that I'd say that he's been ruined by getting moved around. I mean, it's fair. We've kind of talked about this a fair amount on these expectation series that it's, it's the marginal players. It's the Kamalai Correa, the Michael Orr, who was never particularly good, although he's good at right tackle in his first year of his career. It was a ski slope from there in terms of moving around from position to position. Um, and, and Brandon Stevens be another example. There's others that, that come to mind, but, but the, the, the three of them are, are good starting point. It's not a Dallas Thomas. He, he didn't have trouble moving around because he's a superstar athlete. And, and it's not Marshall Yonda. And it's not even Jarrett Johnson who you know might have been somewhere in the middle as a player but you know was a you know a student of the game and could could change positions relatively easily and 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 change frankly his body type from what he came into the league to being a you know a different body type necessary to play outside linebacker and then inside linebacker yeah i mean well right, Dallas thomas is <laughs> <laughs> as you said unique guy <laughs> yes and Marshall, Marshall Yonda would be another one. I don't know if we if I mentioned him or not, but you know, obviously he moved to left guard, right tackle, wherever you needed him. He, he probably was the right. He, he probably was the best answer. It's just he's he's like the ace of spades. You can only play him once, and uh, and yeah. uh, ace of Trump, whatever. All right, let's let's talk about a good season, and a great season for Tyus Bowser. So the way we've been doing this is you you give me your good season, I'll tell you mine, and then we'll go to great and great. Yeah. So, I mean, I think when I think about Bowser, it revolves around the two things that we were talking about, which are the number of snaps that he ultimately is able to take and then sacks and interceptions, you know, and I kind of, I view those kind of in a, I guess you could, I would view pressures as separate, but like sacks and interceptions as like the high impact splash, splash plays, right? Pressures as in Bowser being a guy that's being able to make those expectations. So, I mean, I think a good season is one that we see a combination of six plus sacks and interceptions um, that we're getting from Bowser overall, like on top of another 18 to 20 plus pressures um, in a baseline of probably somewhere around, let's say in a good season, well, you know, obviously kind of like metered out accordingly. So, 
if it's a few less snaps or a few more snaps, you could see a little bit of variability there. But I think we're we're going to want to see. You're going to need to see 400, 300, 350 snaps from Bowser for it to be a season where it's a, we we would be able to say good. Anything less than that, I think, is going to be a challenge for the Ravens defense, like we talked about, and a challenge to say that Bowser had a good year. Okay, very good. I think I think I'm with you in line on the number of snaps here, pretty much, because Bowser played 387 last year, and I think he was active for about nine weeks. So this this uh, we're right in the right in the right ballpark. I said my good season is he returns to play 10 plus games, and I'm 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 trying to deal with up to date information. So as of right now, we know Tyus Bowser's on the NFI list. That that's not a good starting point. And that's why I'm saying a good season already is he plays 10 plus games. Before camp started, no way would that have been in there at all. It would have been a much higher figure that I'd been looking for. I want his coverage to return to near the top of the outside linebackers in the, in the league. Doesn't have to be at the very top anymore. I know he's a year older. Uh, I know there's other guys coming into the league, but I, I still want him near the top of the outside linebackers uh, as he has been for, for several years. I wanted to provide some complimentary pass rush pressure and some second man finishes. I'm not expecting a bunch of one-on-one wins and, and, and in particular in terms of a good season, that's not part of what I want. So I didn't have any straight numeric things other than the 10 plus games. And I think your, your snap total is right on the money pretty much um, 350 plus 350 being about the minimum um, to provide that pass rush flexibility for the rest of the group. Yeah, I have a little bit of a higher expectation on his pass rush ability. You know, I want I want to see he's he's in a I think he's a really underrated pass rusher um, and has been kind of often overlooked in in kind of and the Ravens have always seemed to have a guy like Houston or, um, you know, Suggs during the earlier part of his career, a guy that was a more impact pass rusher. Um, But I do think the Bowser I, I have I think I have a bit of a higher baseline there than just wanting to see some cleanup. <laughs> Okay. Well, fair enough. How about your great season? What does it look like? So, I, you know, I think I... Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Great season goes back to on the sacks numbers where you're looking at seven plus sacks that we're getting from Bowser that you get kind of that primary lead role from a from a sack leadership perspective. For me, then getting back into the top echelon of that pass defender kind of guy, two to three interceptions in addition to those sacks that we're seeing um, and impact impact plays in that regard. And then, you know, ideally getting to that like 13, 14 plus game range. So we're looking at 450, 500, 525 plus snaps, um, you know, and being that anchor, like allowing the, you know, it's almost as though the numbers from the rest of the guys from the Ravens are attributed in some way to Bowser by allowing the Ravens to do what they need to do with the other outside linebacker positions to rotate those guys, to allow OA to stay in his role. If Bowser is playing 550 snaps this year, I think that's by virtue of that one of a Jabo or OA is probably going to have a really nice year on the stat sheet. Um, And if, and if he has that 350 number, it's going to, one of them still could do it, but then it's going to be a lot more difficult. 
Yeah, I could completely agree. I think your reasoning is excellent there. I'll just read mine quickly. Uh, I say plays 14 plus games, effectively duplicates per snap productivity from his fine 2021 season. So that would get at some of the some of the interceptions, but just generally some of the coverage effectiveness is what I want. Um, improves on his career 16% missed tackle rate to finish under 12%. He and a backup of that as yet we do not know allow Ajabo and Owe to play almost the entire season at rush linebacker. And I'm with you. I think those guys and Chuck Smith and maybe Bowser can learn from him too, but those two in particular have a ton to, to gain from Chuck Smith's presence. We're never sure how long that's going to last. You know, it could be a one-year deal. It could be multiple years, but we don't really have a good handle on that. And um, boy, do the Ravens need big years out of that because there's a relatively limited number of Ravens who will give – upside surprises uh to to in, in my opinion there's a relatively few high variance high probability of a really great season that we didn't see coming yeah i think we see that pretty much exactly the same way <laughs> all right all right that's it well let's move on to patrick mccary in that case uh 26 years old on 813 it feels like he should be older than that you know he's been in the league for a while it's his fifth season <laughs> Um, he'll be an unrestricted free agent not until after 24. It seems like the whole Ravens team is a UFA after 23. It's actually very scary in terms of just how much of their talent is will be leaving after the 23 season. And um, it's already leading to a lot of unhappy people who want extensions who can't get them. Yeah, it's if we're talking about what the what what the future of this team looks like. I mean, there's so much riding on this year, but you know, I think, yeah, it, it's going to be very interesting to see the Ravens taking the jump on the void years when it came to to Beckham, something that they avoided to do, avoided doing prior. So the Ravens have definitely altered their cap management approach a bit as they head into this season, and it's is going to make it rocky as as it comes up. Um, but yeah, it does. It also does seem like Patrick McCarry has been, you know, he's not the same kind of, you know, if you want to call it the, the Trump card of the Ace of Spades when it comes to Marshall Yanda in terms of mm -hmm. his overall performance, but his ability to be, I guess, I guess we'll liken it more to like Uno, his ability to be the wild card and to yeah. be played in any situation, maybe not in the best of circumstances, but his ability to be played everywhere does make it just feel like he's been around a long time. Yeah, he's and he's been a. a He's been above the replacement level as a fill-in whenever he's done that. And and even last year where he didn't have a particular good year at tackle, and I want to go into that a little bit. Um, and, and it's a difference in it, it, there's a difference in the way PFF and I have scored things here that I just I want to get down to the heart of because it doesn't make any sense. And when I looked at McCarry's individual games, generally they're scoring it the same way, but it looks like our weightings are different, that you know, they score him extremely favorably. And I'm I'm just shaking my head at the results week after week, the results for the season, because I get different numbers. But it's it's actually interesting to look at um, him versus Stanley, and we'll do that in just a second. But um, you're absolutely right about the about the, the the trump card availability. It's hard to really put a value in that because the Ravens love that continuity on the offensive line so much that is really fueled by the ability to make a one for one change. So if they, if, if Linderbaum were to go down by, for some reason, then you'd want to have one guy, whether it's McCary or Mustafa, Mustafa go in and replace him. 
If a guard goes down, you want the same thing. You want to have another guard ready to go. You don't want to have to move a tackle to guard and, you know, rotate three people and move your center to guard or whatever it might be. And when you have your left tackle go down, which hopefully doesn't happen, you better not have to rearrange everybody like Moses to, to from right tackle to left tackle and then Cleveland from left guard to right tackle and then a new left guard. And I mean, it's something we've got is a nightmare for continuity on your offensive line. So McCary playing left tackle at a lower level is often the best possible answer in terms of continuity of the line. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it, it makes Macari a fascinating player for this conversation, you know, as, and we'll, I will obviously talk about what his expectations are. Um, but what is, you know, it begs the question, you know, if he's the best guy to play at left guard, but you know that somebody's going to get hurt and you don't want anybody to get hurt. I'm not saying anybody is predestined or injury prone or anything like that, but this is just the nature of the game. You're, you're very unlikely to go 16, mm-hmm. 17 weeks now without seeing any injury on the offensive line. Are you better off, you know, like you said, then starting, starting the musical chairs because you've got Makari in one place um, and whatever that looks like, or is it just a one-to-one switch? If Makari is the next guy in at every single other position, which he could be, you know, in, yep. in that sense that he's the next guy up at at every single other spot. And so then all you're doing is moving in Simpson or Cleveland or who, like take your pick of, it seems like the Ravens have a hundred guys trying out for left guard this year, but take mm-hmm. your pick of whoever the guy is that, that ends up being the guy that slots in there. And then Makari just moves to the next spot. That doesn't feel like a lot of, of a lot too much shuffling or over shuffling in that sense. So, you know, whether or not they're really giving Makari a look for that shot, a, a look at left guard to start him there, or whether or not they want to use him as that utility extra man is, is interesting to me. Yeah. I, I honestly, I think there's, there's multiple reasons not to have McCary take that left guard position. One is his size is not ideal in terms of uh, length in particular. And I think you get, you get the risk that having two smaller men uh, playing left guard and center um, in particular in terms of length, is going to cause the Ravens to, a gap to get bombed there in a way that I think will reduce Linderbaum's effectiveness. So you, you'll you'll have you probably will have problems that accrue from that. Um, that might be true no matter who they put at left guard because no matter who they put out there, it's not going to be as good a pass blocker as Ben Powers was. Ben Powers was one of the best pass blocking guards in the mm-hmm. entire league last year. So they're automatically kind of taking a step back. They're also going to pass the ball more. It's going to be a very challenging season for Linderbaum for that reason, you know, to have a, a, another man. But I think at the very least, a very large man, um, you know, 6'4", 320 and up in good length. And so that's what differentiates Simpson from McCary um, will, will give you a chance to uh, do well. And obviously, if it's Cleveland or if it's Falele, you know, in there, you're talking about enormous, gigantic men who who – conceivably work very well on combination blocks with with a quick a, a quick center like Linderbaum and Linderbaum then ideally can be the guy to, to climb a lot of the time uh, after he unbalances the player who, who Cleveland is blocking or who Zeitler is blocking on either side all right did yeah, I did want to talk no, a little, I, I mean, it seems like we might have some lag yeah going no on it'll here, be yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, uh, no, I, it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, whether or not the Ravens prioritize size 
you know, it, it, I think we will know a lot more and we know a little bit based on what we're hearing about from some of the players right now about what Muckin's system is supposed to do. But their selection of who that player ends up being, I think, could be telling about what we're going to see uh, from the Ravens offense when we hit once we hit week one. Right. We'll do a little bit of comparative scoring. And this this is where I just don't get it in terms of what PFF is doing. But but they if I look at two players, if I look at McCary and I look at um, Ronnie Stanley, PFF would tell you that in terms of pass blocking, McCary was a little bit ahead of Stanley. And he might have even been a little bit ahead in terms of run blocking as well. But just ahead in pass blocking had me really surprised enough that I, that I was, you know, befuddled by it. Let's put it that way. Um, but I did, I, I didn't uh, address this by, um, by each element of scoring that I have. And that includes six things, missed blocks, pressures, quarterback hits, sacks, penalties, and penetrations. Everything else is a made block. So it doesn't fall into one of those categories. So all these are downgrades. So I looked at the, at the, at the two players and, you know, for the, for the year, yeah, McCary's got an 80.3 pass blocking score and a 62 run blocking score. And then if you look at a player like Stanley, I think he's actually lower in both. Um, and, it, it, you know, it just didn't make any sense to me, but I'm, I'm going to go through this in just a second. And he had, yeah, 82 and 54 for Ronnie Stanley. So he's actually a, a, a slightly better pass blocker and a, and, a, and a worse run blocker. So they're similar in total. All right. Now I, I looked at these all on a per snap basis and these directly relate to points in my system. So there's no unhidden component. It's all translatable directly to the, to the decimal score. I give people miss blocks. Their, their missed block percentages were different, different by 0.01. That's literally 0.01 in terms of the weekly rate that, or that I would uh, uh give the player weekly grade that I give the player in terms of grading all their individual blocks and setting it out for the year, Ronnie Stanley 0.75 by my system, McCary 0.64 at tackle. So, you know, there's a big difference between these two that Ronnie's year is about a B B minus year maybe. And McCary's year is about a D plus year. So I see there's a big difference between the two and, and, you know, PFF says otherwise I look at pressures, the pressure rate for Ronnie Stanley was about two and a half percent. Uh, different on a per snap basis. So that's 0.025 points uh, as that works out. Quarterback hits were different by almost 2%. And again, 0.02 directly to the bottom line. Sacks were exactly the same in terms of a percentage rate. Um, penalties is a huge one. Um, McCary was penalized three times for holding last year in a relatively low number of snaps. Stanley penalized only one time the whole year uh, and about one sixth as often or a fifth as often for the year. Uh, so about a 4.2 point difference there. Um, I'm sorry, that's, that's right. That's on penalties. And then penetrations, uh, Stanley allowed fewer as well uh, to about another 0.01 in terms of grades. So between all those items, that explains the difference of 11 points. I, I just don't get it. I don't understand how... Uh, PFF is scoring it so differently because usually I look at this on a week by week basis and their numbers are similar. So it's all in terms of their weightings are just very different from mine. But even so when Stanley is better at every single element, I just don't get it. I don't get how uh, 
they would they would end up grading Patrick McCary higher. But it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, you know, PFF is <laughs> one of those funny ones to me because you don't get insights into what they're doing. It does seem yeah. like it does seem like they have like whatever they they're telling somebody else to they're looking for specific things. And so we don't know what those keys are. So it makes it hard to identify it. Um, yeah. It, it, what I saw from Ronnie Stanley last year, look, if we, if we get, I know we're talking about Patrick McCarty's expectations no, here, fine. but if we get vintage, you know, we get vintage Ronnie Stanley, you know, or even, 85% of what Ronnie Stanley that we've seen him at his peak was, then this is going to be a very good season for the Baltimore Ravens um, in right. a Ted Munkin style offense for the, the spread that we're talking about for Lamar to be able to be able to do some of these things. Um, you know, it's just silly that a system couldn't find its way, especially in a year where Ronnie Stanley, it's not like he played poorly. Um, you know, we also just didn't see Makari pop on tape when he was playing tackle either. So I, I agree with, everything you're saying in, in terms of that regard, but hopefully we don't see any, any tackle <laughs> play for Patrick McCarry this upcoming year. And that that's a win-win scenario for, for everybody involved here. Yeah, I, absolutely. And I, I think, I think if Patrick McCarry had asked, would you, you know, was asked right now, would you rather play not at all because the Ravens line continuity was good across the board. I hope he wouldn't hesitate with the answer and say, and would just say yes to it. Cause his versatility, I think would still be valued to the Ravens next year in terms of keeping him around because uh, he's bailed them yeah, out so I, many I, times in the past. And I think his answer in that situation would be, if anything, what? Well, yes. And hoping that I won the left guard competition by playing exceptionally oh, yeah. well and earned the starting <laughs> role, you know, you know, he get, that that's a potential option for him to not to be able to say that and still be a team player. Right. If that's the question that's been asked of him. <laughs> yeah. There, there you go. That's, that's not unreasonable. And, and, uh, uh, probably unlikely, but 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 not not completely unreasonable. The Ravens are trying out certainly a lot of people, a lot of people there. Let me ask you this, and this is kind of a thought experiment question. By the way, one thing I found out is message boards and Twitter are the worst place for thought experiment questions. You really got to know who you're talking to <laughs> to ask a thought of an experiment question. So I, I one one thing I asked was about the Orioles. If you could have all of the following, would you give up Jackson Holiday? And uh, the, the the things were Steve Bishotti buys the Orioles from Angelos. They apply the same cap management philosophy with regard to being smart with money, but not being cheap with money that the Ravens have. They sign a 40-year a lease in Baltimore. And there was one other thing, I forget what it was, but it was related to the, the, the team staying in Baltimore or, or staying competitive. It didn't have anything to do with getting a player in return. You get no player in return. And of course, everybody's saying, well, what player do we get in return? Who are we trading him to? You know, and, and that is a legitimate question. He's not going to a divisional rival. You have to say that. But thought experiment <laughs> questions, my God, the, the, quest, the, the responses people come up with, they say, that's stupid. You know, well, no, it's not stupid. It's just a thought experiment. Come on. So here's the thought experiment for you. Because I know you're capable of this. <laughs> so you can have <laughs> Ronnie Stanley for 15 games, actually for 14 games, I'll say, at the level he played, half of the half the distance between the level he played in 2019 and where he played last year. Okay, so it's an improvement on where he played last year, but it's not quite up to his all-pro season. And that's maybe getting him back to 85, 90% of the player he was. Or you can have him for all 17 games, uh, but he plays like he did this last year. Which do you prefer, knowing you have to find three games for another left tackle if he if you take the first one 
assuming that it's not the latter part of the like the weeks 15 how many weeks are there in the season now week 17. 16 17 oh, 18, and 18 yeah. of the season that he's that he's missing um and is at risk for playoff injury exposure i more than happily take the lesser amount of games for the higher quality performance and it, it's not particularly close for me Okay, that's a that's I think that's a legitimate question to the thought experiment is do we get him for the playoffs? I, I left that unsaid and it's maybe the most important question of all is is he around for the playoffs or not? Uh, but I think that's that's a uh, a valid point. I think that's the way I'd go to, but it's really hard to say that because I think what he did last year was was good enough and you know it'd be magnified over more snaps and more pass blocking snaps in particular this this year with Monken. Um, and I do think he'll improve some, but even if he didn't, I think it'd be good enough, uh, to get the Ravens through and just taking off the, the huge variance from having a risk of Ronnie Stanley injured is a really nice thing to have. Now we already took some of that off the board by saying, you know, it's, it's only gonna be three games he misses, but, uh, but anyway. Well, you know, I also wonder whether or not Munkin's new system is going to play a part in the results of what we see from this team, right? So like making it, you know, part of part of injuries are random things happening. A lot of bodies piled up in similar places, guys running cross directions at the same time and being pushed mm-hmm. into or rolled up on, et cetera, in those situations, asking wide receivers to be blockers in situations sit consistently where big they're blocking bigger stronger more athletic guys i mean they're i like look i had i was disappointed in what we got from the ravens last year and greg roman um and i'm not i'm not saying that there's huge risks that are there's you know tangibly more risk in a greg roman style offense for the players but i expect lamar jackson to be healthier in a, in a monkin style offense um and i think that there's an opportunity for the offensive line to be healthier in that situation because there's just less of a burden and attacks and and less bodies that like like greg roman had everybody in the box all the time and running in crisscross directions and there were guys at everybody's feet all the time um and anytime you saw anybody go down because someone was rolling around on the ground we were all worried right and so if you're going to be four wide um and you're going to be spread out there's just it's just going to be less physical and hopefully as a result of that potentially less injuries okay that's you know that's a very interesting point and i i wonder if if you get that if if you have less intrusion into the pocket that leads to falling on the back of legs that's kind of the way i'm picking up on your 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 thought i i i see that often as somebody penetrates through a gap and a guard or tackle usually pushes that guy across the pocket to block him, which is like, it's the worst kind of thing. You, I, I think, you know, they're probably taught tackle the guy if you have to. And in a lot of cases, tackling would probably be better taking the holding call than taking the injury risk that's attendant with blocking somebody across the pocket. Uh, but I, I, I think you might well be right that, you know, you, def, you definitely have more chance for feet to get tangled when you pull as much with Roman. And it's, I, 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 I think it's a very valid point. Yeah, the fullback and the tight end motion, and the keys and the way the defenders were asked to attack 
Ravens backs and edge edge offensive linemen in particular in the style of which Greg Roman did it was force forcibly aggressive. And there was no way around that. And the Ravens never took advantage of teams trying to do that against them instead of trying to adjust and do something in response to that. They just tried to do what they did better um, and stronger and more aggressive back in their face. And so my my biggest hope about the Todd Munkin offense is that they try that they set something up and maybe that is that aggression running the ball, et cetera, early. But the, the, the progression of that is to take advantage behind whatever that is and not to just try and be better at what you're doing than what they're doing, but take advantage of what they're doing key right. on it and and attack behind it. And hopefully as a result of that, we see less wear and tear potentially coming as a result of that. Uh, it, that's a very good point. That's a, that's a very good point. I, uh, yeah, I agree. All right. So we talked a little bit about whether or not McCary should be part of the guard competition. Do, do you want to take a pro, would you take a pro or con stance on that? Do you think in the end, would you want to be part of the initial guard competition or do you want him kind of left out and saved for as a one for one replacement? I, I would say it's a gigantic mess. <laughs> if he, if, if <laughs> I, I, I would say throw him in there, right? Because if we can, if everybody else really underperforms, and Makari is the only guy that looks like he's capable of playing left guard, there is not a doubt in my mind that he should play left guard then, right? But mm-hmm. I think that you know, in in this particular thought experiment, I would say getting him out of the competition early. If it looks like he's not the favorite or if somebody or a couple guys are playing at like if there are two guys playing at the same level or one guy playing significantly better than Makari in both of those circumstances, I would then want the Ravens to start moving around the line, getting him prepared mentally to be kind of that that sixth man on the offensive line um, and making sure that that was the approach that that everybody was clear on that approach early. Okay, there is there is a player that I think maybe there's a couple that their success at other positions may directly, indirectly affect McCary. And, and the first one is Ben Cleveland because they've tried him out at right tackle some. Now, I don't know if that's going to continue, but I would expect he's going to get some preseason game action at right tackle. That's what I'll, I'll predict for you. And the other one who is really interesting at this point is John Simpson. Simpson is um, ideally sized for a guard, has terrific length, at 6'4", 321, and 34 and an eighth inch arms. I am always tempted when you see arm length like that to, to also test the feet that go with them and say, is that guy a possible left tackle? Because the Ravens don't have anybody else who meets the the, the combination of length and feet to play left tackle. Faalele, we already kind of proved last year, is not the guy. Morgan Moses, they had chances. They never moved him there. He hasn't played left tackle in a long time. He's also terrific at right tackle, but but you know if you need a left tackle, you need a left tackle, and then McCarry ends up being the best guy you've got, and you're 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 making do with that with him, and a and a a player who doesn't have the requisite length for the position, and it shows in terms of the on field results, um, and and I've got to ask, is John Simpson a possibility to play left tackle on this team? Because I I just I, there's. There does not seem to be anyone else who's even a possibility right now. It's unusual that the Ravens would go into a season that unprepared for um, you know injuries at at that position. Yeah, it's the Ravens' approach to some, I'd say, tackle, cornerback, and outside linebacker 
are fundamentally different than they have been in some of the historical seasons of what we've seen from the Ravens. Um, and so a guy like Patrick McCarry is really interested, interesting in that regard where, you know, and Simpson alike about, you know, they must, there's, there must be some expectation that they can cover at some of those spots. You know, I think also, I, I also wonder whether it's like one of those situations where, you know, you look at what the Rams did and the, the Ravens aren't doing it at the same level the Rams are where they're saying, okay, they're, we're, we're going with three bona fide top shelf super superstars, right? And that's what we're building this team around and we're going to trade everything and anything around it um, mm-hmm. to win in that circumstance. But they are saying, look, these guys have got to play. And if we're going to win the Super Bowl, it's going to be with these guys. And whether we sign the 34th best guy to be their backup and eat up cap space and, you know, versus just hoping Stanley's okay and going with it. And that's how we're, that's how we're making a meaningful playoff run. And if we don't get there, we'll try and make it work. But you know, that's just not the year then, right? Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it has a little bit of that feel to it, right? Like that OA and Ajaba, one of them is going to rise to the occasion and really step up this year that, that, you know, Rocky is in and some, one of these random slot guys are going to come through and play there that Hamilton and Williams are going to stay healthy at safety. I mean, that <laughs> there's there, we have been spoiled as Ravens fans at the amount of depth that the Ravens keep on their team. Right. It's part of why this team is always consistently good and right around the playoff mix, but never the, you know, other than 2019, never kind of the lead horse in the, in the stable kind of thing. And the Ravens seem to really have leaned into the opposite of that this year a bit, or maybe not leaned into it, but, just not been traditional in what we've seen from them. And so I think this is an example where Makari is an amazing X factor to say, Hey, that's going to be our approach. If we got to throw them out there and move them around. And then a guy like Simpson, we're going to do that. Uh, we're going to hope we get by with it and we're not going to worry about it. And we're going to, we're going to let Lamar be Lamar and carry us through those situations. Yeah. I, I think that's well said. And, and the, um, they they definitely are playing without a net at several positions. There's no doubt about it. And and I don't know what they're going to do at corner. The Marcus Peters signing is today. It's kind of a little bit depressing to me because the Ravens are so short at outside corner. Um, you you don't you're not bothered by it. I, I couldn't tell from that reaction. Oh, sorry. No, I I, I was very depressed by it as well. I mm-hmm. I thought that he was a guy like especially at the number. I mean, I don't know if Peters demanded to be a starter, and the, the Ravens weren't willing to acquiesce to that, and that was the reason they couldn't come to terms. It just doesn't make any sense, though. Um, and at that price tag, that was worth bringing him back, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. and it's not a bad locker room guy. I mean, maybe he is a bad locker room guy. Who knows? You know. Um, but I was disappointed. Yeah, the good news is with the Ravens, you don't always hear about who the bad locker room guy is. You know, there's they're, right. they've right. they'll occasionally reprimand players, but they do a very good job of keeping problems in house. The player has to really want to air his grievances publicly to to let that get out. And Peters is right. Peters has been jettisoned from a number of places in his career for being allegedly or for reasons that don't make any sense based on his performance on the field. So very much perhaps the Ravens just it wasn't the right fit in that regard. And we all went our separate ways and maybe we're better for it. Who knows? Yeah, I, I guess it's possible. It just, it seemed like this was such a great place and such an ideal defensive fit for him, given, you know, the, the Ravens like to scheme up for pressure and Peters knows how to play off that. Yeah. The Ravens like to kind of play cover three and Peters sure certifiably knows how to take advantage of that. And, uh, you know, didn't have a great year last year, but, you know, I, I kind of feel like that's exactly where it was with the Rams when the Ravens traded him. And, he, and that same season, 
he became all pro. He was playing the worst ball of yep. career. And before he left the Rams, so it, it might have been the Rams <laughs> that were the problem. Yep. There. All right. Yep. Let's let's move on a little bit and talk about what's a good and a great season for Patrick McCarry. So what does a good season look like to you? Yeah, so this is an interesting one. When I was thinking about it, a good season, I think, is McCarry playing starting in six games um, and playing, you know, at, at average or a little bit above average or better you know, and at whatever position he is asked to start in those six games. Okay. I, I, I have the threshold a little lower because I think this, it'd certainly be good for the Ravens. It's hard for me to say whether it's good for McCarry or not, but I agree. It's a, it's a difficult one to gauge in anywhere close because you have to kind of project the, what are the injury realities are like. I say he's ready as a backup tackle or center for inevitable injuries. He sees less than 150 to 250 snaps and delivers slightly lower than the league average level. He didn't quite do that last year. I want, I want, a, I want a slight upgrade of that um, in terms of of uh, how he looks as a blocker. Since I project that, I, I, I suspect he's going to come in as a backup tackle and not a backup center. Yep. I mean, that, all that makes sense, and that's you know, I, I that. Your alignment of number of snaps, mine is a little bit less than that. A great season to me is less Macari, you know, at a higher yeah. level performance <laughs> when needed, but it, but it is, but it's less, less of him. If especially, and I think we both agree, you know, we don't view him as the favorite for left guard. We don't view him as some elite contributor at left guard. Certainly, I think we both mm-hmm. uh, have not talked about him as though he be, he will be average or below average if he were asked to play that position. But, um, you know, from a replacement level perspective, it certainly feels like that could be replaced. So, you know, needing him for those two or three games or parts of two or three games to come in, cover, you know, patch things over, be really good in those situations. And, and that's what we see from him for the year. That's my, you know, the glory of, off, of of being an offensive lineman in some instances is there aren't a lot of statistics that you that are attributed to you, and hearing less about you is also often when you've done better. Um, and I think that you know in this case that's what I would want to see from Makari, which is you know not a, a negative or a fault of his, but you know it's going to mean really good things for the Ravens in particular um, if we only see him in in two games this year. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it kind of sounds like you know. First prize is a one-week trip to Cleveland, and second prize is no trip to Cleveland. Or sorry, other way around, right? Second <laughs> yeah. prize is or either way, right? Yeah. Is, the first prize is none. It can go either way on that one. It doesn't matter. I'm not. In, I'm not participating in that competition. That's okay. Well, we're, we 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 kind of know what it means on a Baltimore show, anyway. I, I'll talk about a great season for Patrick McCarry for me. I think he tips, takes a step forward uh, wherever he plays in terms of his per snap productivity. Um, and he's available as the option at any of the five offensive line spots breakdown due to injury or ineffectiveness, which is a possibility at left guard. They might have two guys that both flunk out and they say, you know what? McCary's still available. Let's put, let's stick him in there. He, he plays 350 plus snaps at or above the league average, which I think would be absolutely tremendous if you were at the league average, honestly. And he's lauded as one of the unsung heroes that saves the Ravens playoff push. So the Ravens line is about to play. They, they they find Patrick McCary. They put him in. We talk about him the way the way we talk about LJ Fort and Josh Bynes, 2019, saving the Ravens season defensively. Or we talk about him the way maybe in, in more hushed tones. We talk about Demata Pecco and Jelly Ellis coming in and 
saving the defensive line that season. Uh, but not necessarily like Marcus Peters, because Marcus Peters was a you know a flashy all pro player who came in and and changed things very uh, very distinctly. But I think Bynes and Fort are the are the maybe the best possible examples of that's what uh, the kind of performance we would need from Patrick McCary to, to save this offensive line's continuity. Yeah. It's always interesting to try and identify how, what you would call a player that is not a, a list starter. And like, I'm not even talking pro bowl or all pro, but just like a, a bona fide, like if this guy is on any team, he's very likely to be starting kind of player, right? Like that doesn't necessarily, you know, Patrick queen probably falls into this group of players where like, I don't think he's a pro bowl quality player, but I think if Patrick mm-hmm. queen is on nearly any team in the NFL, he's starting. Right. Um, how do you, you know, how, how do you take, a guy that is the level below that and define what is great for that guy. Right. Because I think what I, what I hear what you were saying, that's, I think those are much loftier expectations, 350 snaps from Patrick McCarry, you know, at above or, you know, at league average or above it over the course of this year would, would really, I would be, I, that would be great. Um, I think it would be a lot more than great. <laughs> and, okay. and hopefully, you know, hopefully it's not a situation that the Ravens need to see that, but it's one of those things where it's like, if, if he is, a, you know, if our expectation of him is that he's going to get a B minus or a C plus in the class and he gets a B plus, you know, I, that that's great to me from, from that level of player on, on, you know, that number of quality of importance in the Ravens roster to start the year. Right. Yeah. And I, I guess I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm not grading on the curve here. I'm saying you hope for a C plus season right. out of McCary in 350 snaps at some position where you, you didn't know you were going to need him. And so right. I, I, I agree. I, and I, I think I still agree with you that it's higher than the 80th percentile. I just want to have some significant differentiation between my two. And I admit there's a, not all these exactly being 60th and 80th percentile, but uh but it is what yeah, it is. I'm more, it's, there's some hair there's some hair splitting going on here in what I'm saying too. <laughs> it's always fun to talk about these things with you, Jordan. A very intelligent football conversation. One of the really great analysts out there. Uh, tell folks where they can talk football with you online. Yeah, you guys can find. Well, is it Twitter? Is it X? What do we, what do we call it these days? But uh, whatever. <laughs> under, <laughs> Whatever the whatever the platform that Elon Musk owns currently, uh, you can find me there at Raven Sit Room. Uh, we've also got a uh, podcast on film study as well. Um, we're hoping to get that revved up for this year with my co-host Gabe Ferguson. He's at Gabe Ferky over in the same place, and uh, we're hoping to be able to take that same approach of trying to look at situationally where to key in when you're watching Ravens games, what to look for, what you saw in the last week, and uh, maybe trying to add in some some other fun things to to come. Gabe and Jordan both are people who are on multiple shows during the year for the offense and defense. Some of the some of the best analysts out there and really always appreciate uh, talking football with them. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, you still got time. We can get you in during the year. We can get you in during the time between the last preseason game and the beginning of the season. We have lots of opportunities. Uh, give me a DM on Twitter. I'll get right back to you. We've got another idea coming up tomorrow that I'm doing a show on about blue chip players that I'm really looking forward to. And uh, if other folks out there have ideas, it's uh, the topic can be anything you like. Um, and uh, just hit me up. I'll get right back to you. Jordan, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me, Ken. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.